Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Analytics Show, the podcast that helps you get better at marketing analytics. This podcast is brought to you by Supermetrics. Over half a million marketers use Supermetrics to move data from popular marketing platforms such as Facebook, Google Analytics, and HubSpot to their favorite analytics, reporting, and data warehouse tools, including Google Sheets, Excel, Google Data Studio, Google BigQuery, and more. Give Supermetrics a spin and start your 14-day free trial at supermetrics.com. I'm your host, Anna Shutku, and today our guest star is Ben Turk, who is a co-founder and COO at Madison Logic. In this episode, you'll learn what kind of data is needed to measure ABM campaigns successfully, what marketers should pay attention to in order to craft the right messaging for each stage of the campaign, and why LinkedIn is such an important tool for ABM, as well as what metrics are good to track if you'd like to use it. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to host you here today. And again, we have a very, very interesting topic for our listeners. And we're going to be talking about the ABM strategies, measuring ABM campaigns. And I am really, really excited about this episode because we're going to focus on the measurements specifically. So, Ben, my first question to you is, how can data, tech, and measurement all together help achieve success with the ABM campaigns? Well, I think the first thing that we should all acknowledge is data, technology, measurement, they're all critical parts to measuring success with any account-based marketing program and campaign. Let's also not lose sight of the people, the process, and the training behind all of these different initiatives. So when we look a little bit more focused around the data technology and the measurement side, let's start with data. The first thing that I wanted to comment on here is both breadth of data and hygiene of data. Now, when I talk about breadth, I really refer to the quantity and the areas of data that are bringing together insights. So on one hand, we have things about companies. How large is a company? How much revenue do they do? Where are their offices located? That's one aspect of data side. Another can be technographics or install base. What are the products, the solutions, the technologies already put in place? Those are great indicators of potentially what they may want to purchase next. Now, the other thing that we have to think about with data is the cleanliness or the hygiene. If you're leveraging data that is a bit outdated or you haven't refreshed it in period of years or even quarters, what you're working with may point you in the wrong direction. So you may assume that a specific target account is ready and prepared to purchase your solution, but if they've already migrated over to another technology, you might have missed the boat. You might have missed the opportunity there. So continually updating, refreshing, and auditing your own data is critical because it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out. And I think data, as it permeates through so many different systems that marketers and sellers use today, um, it's extremely important. So number one, making sure that you have the right type of data based on the types of pursuits you want to go after with your ABM campaigns. And of course, the hygiene of that data. And that's kind of a job and a function on its own, making sure that we're sourcing data from the right places, auditing how that data is captured and how we're bringing it into our systems and keeping it clean. Because I think, as everyone knows, as sellers pursue these accounts, oftentimes they may not update the information or the data in their own systems as timely as one would like. That brings us over more to the technology side. And in my mind, when I think about technology, I think about both the tools that teams use internally 
to track their progress, to plan and ultimately activate programs, but also some of the tools and technologies used to reach these audiences across the B2B web. So most commonly what we find with our clients is they're using a CRM system, customer relationship management system, like a salesforce.com. It helps them track pipeline, revenue, customers, and when they are potentially coming up for expiration of their contract. It also helps them understand that if they're in a competitive battle, that's on the sales side. Now, there's many other tools from a sales perspective that can come into play with account-based marketing, whether it's automated email outreach tools or it's data insights for sellers specifically. But as we turn more towards the marketing side, many folks kind of assume that the operating system for marketers resides within marketing automation. And I'm talking about platforms like Marketo, HubSpot, Oracle's Eloqua, and Salesforce's Parda. Marketers tend to use these platforms, these technologies, to just kind of keep track of all the different activities and engagement that they are witnessing in their key accounts, but also trigger the next best action. And inherently in these marketing automation systems, email is a huge channel here. But the question then becomes, what should I be emailing out to my prospects and my accounts that I have in my system? And how do I measure that success? So before we get to measurement, um, one of the things that I like to do is tie together that data that we first talked about with the technology. And if you are infused with the right types of data and it's high quality and it's refreshed continually, that's kind of your North Star to say, I'm going to email out this next piece of content. I'm going to drive them to this webinar that I'm hosting. I'm going to take them to a blog post or even a podcast because I know and have been informed that the data that I'm using is showing me where the puck's heading. It's showing me signals of how this account is evaluating solutions and how potentially we fit in. So there's marketing automation, there's CRM systems, the two primary kind of go-to-market platforms here. And then, of course, there's other secondary or tertiary platforms that might fit in whether it's website personalization, whether it's chatbots, or different connectors across the different B2B web. In order to assess if things are going according to plan, or if they're lagging, or we need to make an adjustment, that's where really measurement comes into play. Measurement tells you if your thesis originally is proving out, or if you need to recalibrate. And measurement, I see it, I mean, encompasses just so many different areas, right? On the surface level, when you activate a program, let's say it's a paid media-oriented program, you might be looking at things of total reach into your target accounts. Are they responding to advertisements that you're putting out there? Are they consuming and downloading your content? Are they sharing different things on perhaps social networks? That's one form of measurement. But I think more and more importantly, especially these days, measurement really refers to pipeline and revenue. If marketers can clearly show and demonstrate that investments they make on certain channels, certain tools, or even certain data sets is driving increased pipeline, it's speeding up those deals, and it's driving growth of the business, that's the biggest bang for your buck on the measurement side. Now, when you can tie together both your go-to-market campaign activities with your actual business growth and pipeline activities, that's when the measurement stuff really comes to life because you can start pinpointing the drivers that's pushing that performance and also the areas that you may need to focus even more on from um, an execution standpoint. So taken together, data, technology, and measurement, they all work in tandem. But as I said, I think a little bit earlier in the beginning, if you don't have the right process and you don't have the right training for the people managing these tools, executing these programs, um, then you're going to find gaps along the way. And I like to think of it kind of like, you know, those old game shows where you see people kind of leapfrogging off to like lily pads on a pond and one or two of them don't have a pole underneath it. 
So if you jump on one of them, you might sink right to the bottom of that. So all of these are, I would say, equally important there. All right, perfect. I really love this answer. And I love how you mentioned about both breadth and hygiene of data. I think this is very, very important. And definitely do agree on the measurement alignment side. So combining the GTM activities together with the ROI and pipeline measurements, definitely with you on these ones. So my next question here would be, can you please walk us through the maybe the stages of the ABM campaign and talk a bit more about the kind of data which marketers need to pay attention to and measure during each and every stage. So you've mentioned Salesforce, you've mentioned a couple of other tools, but if we tie it all together on the measurement side, how does it look like? Yeah, so if we think through the process of you know initial inception all the way through review and looking back after a campaign is wrapped up, the first place that I like to start on is identification, right? Which organizations, which accounts are we going to pursue? In many cases, what we hear from our clients is those are discussions between both sales and the marketing team. Sales always wants to sell to the Fortune 1000 companies, the largest enterprises around the globe. Now, the marketing team may say, okay, we have to assess, are these organizations actually fit for our solution? Do we integrate with the different systems and the networks or the environments that these companies have? And what's the likelihood that we can crack into those accounts and sell through it? So oftentimes, sales, marketing, they come together, they define that initial target account list. But that's really even before they start layering on different types of data. Now, to refine this within an ideal customer profile, what many successful organizations do is they look back at their own successful clients today and they say, you know, what do these companies look like? Are they in certain verticals or industries? Are they spread out geographically around the world or kind of isolated into just one area? Um, are there a certain number of employees at that organization or even within a functional area that we really need to stress and focus on? From there, we can kind of whittle down the total universal addressable market into a smaller circle within that. And there we say, okay, this company fits the profile that we believe would be a good uh a good candidate to become a client of ours. What's the next step here? Well, I mentioned it earlier in the data tech and measurement side. Can we look at and find what they've already purchased, where they're finding success? And one of the ways that I like to think about this is kind of exactly what we just described, right? Sales uses CRM, marketing uses marketing automation. Well, what are the next logical purchases after you put in place those systems? And oftentimes when we talk to clients, We'll go through that logical sequence with them, and they'll just inform us to say, we've noticed that our solutions are purchased after X, Y, and Z are initially put in place. We're kind of an intermediary platform. And I think for many cloud solution providers today, that's the great place to start. Because if you integrate with just a few of the hyperscale cloud providers, you're probably not going to want to target a company that uses someone else. So if you integrate well with perhaps Amazon Web Services, but you don't yet have that integration with Google Cloud Platform, why would you spend your time, efforts, and money focusing on the Google Cloud Platform there? So that technographic install-based data is really helpful as well. The next set of data is to understand the research habits of companies and how those are shifting over time. Now, many people refer to this as intent data. And this category, this type of data has grown dramatically over the last five to seven years. Early on, it was simply saying, okay, let's see who's doing research on a certain topic. Well, if they're doing research, they must be in market. The next step was, okay, well, let's measure how that research today differs from what they were doing in the past. 
in the overall volume of research. Maybe that's a stronger indicator. And now it's even evolved to say, well, how many employees at the company are doing research? What type of research are they doing? And is the speed of that research accelerating? And when you put all those different factors together, you get a much clearer picture of is this company really prepared to move in market, really going into that buying cycle there? So that's the next set of data that we oftentimes discuss with our clients. We've talked about the total addressable market that sales and marketing want to sell to. We've narrowed that down through an ideal customer profile fit attribute. We've layered in technographic data. Now we're bringing in intent data, which again and again, you're going to make these circles, your addressable accounts, a little bit smaller and smaller. And what we found is that intent data has been adopted, I think at this point, by the majority of B2B organizations that are activating account-based marketing. This next evolution, this next step here, what we're witnessing is marketers are starting to saying, all right, I've got my target account list, but is there an opportunity to refine it even further? Is there another signal out there that would help me understand how to steer my budget? And what we've seen is that historical engagement on content, on messages, on social channels is a great next step here. And what this refers to is observing how often companies are proactively being marketed to, not just in that passive research mindset, which itself is very valuable, but how often are these companies being bombarded with different marketing messages on different channels with a different theme or topic and who's being targeted within the organization? Alongside that same targeting frequency and media investment activity, what we also want to see is how do those same companies actually respond when being marketed to? So if everyone wants to go sell to the Fortune 1000 and you've applied these different layers of data and you're going after them, but they're not responding, maybe they truly are not in market. So this engagement data really helps us understand who within these organizations should we be targeting with specific types of messages and content oriented around certain topics. I think everyone knows that these buying committees continue to grow and grow, and it's not just one individual making the decision-making process or signing their name on the contract. They are delegating many responsibilities to folks, not just within their own department, but even outside of it. Today, in our company, Madison Logic, it's not our CTO that signs all the contracts. In many cases, it's our head of people, head of operations, head of finance. So we have to engage with so many different types of audiences, but the same message, the same content across different functional areas is likely not going to work. So you have to build out a strategy using data to say, when should we pursue these certain accounts? What channels do we need to engage them on? And what is the actual message? And of course, we'll talk a little bit more about measurement and understanding performance there. But I think it's not just this simple brushstroke that you can say and and assume that we're going to use the same tactics that we were doing in the past for our ABM campaigns. All we got, all we need is a target account list. That's pretty much it, right? The answer, I think, is, as many organizations have realized, is no, that's not the answer. You have to meticulously look at each organization, what's making them tick, where are they heading, and then align your strategy around that. All right. This makes a lot of sense. And I really like how you mentioned about different types of data, so historical engagement data, engagement data, and um, the intent data, which I think is very, very important when it comes to targeting. So let's talk more about this for a minute. So when the marketers have their account list, 
they would like to ideally tailor each and every message, like you mentioned, the best practices to tailor each and every message during each stage of the reach out. So what kind of metrics and indicators from the sales pipeline should marketers pay attention to, to first of all, craft this right message and then deliver this message through the right channels? Yeah, so there's really three core pillars that we guide clients on in terms of sales metrics and indicators here. And that boils down to volume, value, and velocity. On the volume side, it's actually very straightforward. Can we measure the volume of qualified accounts, qualified sales opportunities that are created through these initiatives? And how does that differ from our traditional approaches? So the volume of activities, not just how many accounts did we hit and engage, but how is that actually leading to qualified sales opportunities? That's the first big one. On the value side, we look at the average order value initiated or created after doing a go-to-market with account-based marketing. Are we seeing an incremental lift in the overall value of the deals that we are pursuing when we compare them to things that we did in a different approach or a traditional type of approach. And the velocity one, I think, is one of the most important, and it's one of my favorites. It simply means, through these different channels and leveraging data, have we been able to increase the sales velocity? Now, I say sales velocity because that is one area that chief revenue officers and CFOs look at immensely and maniacally. But at the same time, marketers can also measure the speed at which their initial prospects convert and turn into those qualified sales opportunities. In many cases, they're looking at that in marketing automation. We bring in a prospect at the top of the funnel. We know we have to engage that prospect further and deeper before the handoff to sales teams. So we trigger these nurture emails. We invite them to webinars. Can we now track that the velocity of those accounts and the prospects associated to those accounts move at an accelerated rate or a higher velocity compared to the other approaches. So I keep mentioning this this concept of comparing it to what you're doing in the past. And for many clients that we work with, an iterative approach is how they find success because there's so many different moving pieces. We're only a few minutes into this discussion and already we're talking about technology and measurement and data and defining accounts. So I like to kind of peel back the layers of that onion one by one. But again, sales velocity is a great indicator. When it comes to understanding, do we need to make a change? Do we have to test this against something else? One of the things that we like to do is break apart every different program by all those different key data aspects. And data is now encompassing the content you're using, the strategies, the messages, the channels, and the personas. If we can compare one program against another with a very simplified view to see the incremental lift, that's a great way to see, here's what we need to recalibrate. Here's what we need to change. Maybe it's the personas that you went after in a certain set of accounts. Maybe it's the content that you use to engage those personas. But of course, when you're activating an ABM program, it's not just in one area. It's not just your website. It's not just on social networking. It's likely across many different channels. So again, one by one, looking at these metrics and saying, let's let's tweak this and see what the performance yields from that. I think that's a great approach that, that marketers really go. And again, it revolves back to, are we increasing volume of sales opportunities and pipeline? Are we speeding up deals and increasing the velocity there? And of course, are the size of these orders, the value of these orders increasing as a result also? 
That sounds awesome. I really like your volume value velocity framework. I think it helps marketers understand which categories each and every metrics belongs to. So thank you so much for sharing it. And now let's talk about the revenue metrics, because earlier in the podcast, you mentioned revenue being sort of a common denominator for different teams to measure their efforts. Can you please talk me through what kind of revenue metrics are important to measure when it makes sense to measure these metrics? And is there a certain data volume um, after analyzing which it's important to get to certain results that are statistically significant? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's not one simple answer to this. What are the right revenue metrics? It's really a function of the objectives of the company. Many organizations are in a land and expand pursuit. Right? They don't necessarily need a lot of new logos and a lot of new customers. They want to upsell, cross-sell their existing clients. So one of the ways that you can measure that from a revenue perspective are how many business units have we penetrated in these large accounts that we're pursuing? If our solution can be adopted throughout the organization, but we're only in a few of the smaller business units, how do we move horizontally or even vertically up and sell more seats there? Revenue metrics such as number of licenses sold, number of uh, components associated to your solution are sold, and of course, the geographic areas that are buying your solution. Many of our clients are global in nature. They're marketing and selling solutions all over the world. But what we see is oftentimes they'll land a customer, but that customer won't adopt their solution globally, at least not initially. So it's imperative on them, their revenue teams, to align and say, all right, well, we've got a cross-sell opportunity here. I can get warm referrals into these other business units How are we going to track all that? How are we going to track that? And, you know, in many cases, it's a similar type of pipeline view to a traditional net new logo pursuit. Where are we in terms of making progress, getting into a new business unit? How far off are we from a contract? How many additional seats can we bring on board? Uh, That's the kind of the cross-sell upsell that we see many marketers are taking. For clients that are in net new logo pursuit, they want to bring as many new customers in. It might be different. One of the metrics could be how long is it taking to close these deals. And in that case, marketers can kind of reverse engineer their own waterfall to say, if we know our sales cycle is six months from inception to closing, meaning the moment I touch these accounts with any of these channels, I engage with them, we close a deal six months later. They can kind of work their way backwards and say, what is the volume of engagement on a certain channel, whether it's leads or it's social engagement or it's visitors to your website or even clicks on your search ads, what is the volume of those different activities that we need to drive to get to the next stage, which is someone registering and saying, yeah, I want to learn more information. I want to download your content. I want to you know, explore your solutions. And then, of course, the time it takes for you from getting them into the top of your funnel down to the next stage where it is a sales handoff. And that kind of very graceful dance as it moves from an automated kind of machine-driven approach more towards the human side. As marketers look at each of these metrics and tie together their marketing activities, their sales activities rooted in revenue, I think that's when they're able to spot the glaring examples of things that need to be improved upon. And it's kind of like you're building the plane as you're flying or putting the wheels in the car as it's going down the road. And for many folks, that's that's you know, frightening. But in many successful companies that we've worked with, they realize that we can't just wait around. We can't just sit and talk strategy for six months. We actually have to activate. We have to get in market. 
So recalibrating, making fine-tuned adjustments based on those revenue metrics uh, is extremely important there. And the last thing that I want to talk about that we're seeing is becoming more and more important is protecting your customers. If you know that organizations are coming up to the expiration date of their contract, you need to start talking to them well before that date. In fact, you need to launch your ABM programs to save or even upsell those customers well before the contract expires. And as some of the data points that we talked about give you these indicators that they may be looking elsewhere, maybe they're looking at a competitor, or maybe they haven't found the value of not just your solution, but the category itself, and they're abandoning it. This is a great opportunity for you to deepen that relationship, build that engagement to reinforce the value of why they purchased your solution in the first place, and perhaps some of the features or components that they haven't yet taken advantage of. I think that one, you know, customer churn mitigation is just tr- just huge, and it's growing in importance year after year. All right, Van. Awesome. Thank you so much for giving such a detailed answer. And now my next question here would be, so we talked about the revenue metrics, all the other different types of metrics, the social engagement, the sales pipeline metrics. But let's talk about the social element a little bit more. So I see, and I'm sure many, many other marketers would agree with me, that LinkedIn is becoming a very vital part of almost every company's ABM strategy. So how can marketers use LinkedIn to increase their pipeline and improve the quality of their deals? And also another question here would be, what kind of metrics are important to pay attention to when they start using LinkedIn as a tool? Yeah, uh, great question. So in my perspective and view, uh, LinkedIn is the dominant and it is the champion social networking platform for B2B. Hundreds of millions of users spread all over the world. If you asked me a few years ago, I might have said LinkedIn's a great place for folks in HR and recruiting and salespeople. We see that all the time and time again, getting in-mail from sellers, looking to connect, and of course for recruiting. These days, it's shifted dramatically as hundreds of millions of more people have joined the platform. I actually see great discussions, research happening, and there's just a lot of engagement, a lot of attention on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn offers a wide variety of different types of marketing and advertising solutions, whether it's their sponsored content updates, video, text links, carousel ads, their live uh, video suite. There's just so many different opportunities and ways to connect with your audiences and your accounts, both from an organic and a paid perspective on LinkedIn. Many marketers that we know use LinkedIn as a lead generation tool. Right? They want to load up their content, present a registration form, and get someone to consume and register for that content. I think LinkedIn is a fantastic channel for that, but if they're only focused on purely lead generation on LinkedIn, they're missing out on a lot more that's going on there. So you'll see when you go to LinkedIn, not only can you hit the register button, but you can like something, comment on it, or share it throughout your own network. And I think some marketers that take a somewhat narrow approach just to say, how many leads do we generate on LinkedIn? are missing a lot of the story, especially when it comes to account-based marketing. With account-based marketing, not only is it important to find the right people, connect with them, get their contact information, and pursue them in your own platforms, but you also kind of want to build this consensus and build up an advocate on the channels where you can amplify your own message. And LinkedIn, from my from my point of view, is really the only channel that's scalable to do that on a global basis. So if you're pursuing an account, one of those Fortune 1000 accounts again, and you're looking at your metrics and saying, you know what, we only generated two leads at this account. Why don't you start looking at some of the other engagement metrics? 
Are the folks at the account that you're pursuing, are they resharing your message throughout their own personal network? Again, that's the amplification side. Are they liking it? Are they clicking on these, maybe being driven off to your own website? If you're not capturing those engagement metrics, you're missing out on extremely valuable data that you can use not just to fine-tune and optimize your LinkedIn initiatives, but also bring back into your own infrastructure, whether it's in your CRM for sales or your marketing automation, to fine-tune those activities as well. And so LinkedIn, over the last few years, have built up just a fantastic ecosystem of partners that can really elevate your go-to-market activities on LinkedIn alongside other channels that you may be using. Our company, Madison Logic, is an integration partner with LinkedIn through their LinkedIn marketing solutions. And from what we've seen, we've been able to help elevate our clients' success and performance and just give them a lot more visibility. And visibility was something that they were yearning to see even more of. So when I take a step back and I say, you know, there's a direct response result that you're looking for, but you can't put the blinders on to all the other insights that you can kind of receive and, and extract from LinkedIn, that's when you really start taking this data and put it into practice in so many different other ways. So I always recommend LinkedIn as a channel. But again, depending on the objectives of the company, you have to decide what are the products on LinkedIn that we want to use and how does LinkedIn come into play working in conjunction with these other channels, especially as it relates to uh, your ABM initiatives and your overall measurements here. One of the things that we've looked at is to say, what does engagement on LinkedIn looks like from accounts that are in the final stages of that sales cycle versus accounts that are in the early stage? Are they engaging more because you know, you're actively talking to them, they're deeper in the funnel, they're looking at your solutions, and you're sending them these messages and ads on LinkedIn, or maybe less? And surprisingly, what we found is that clients that are pursuing accounts in late stage on LinkedIn, they still see great engagement. And that really helps them reinforce to their sales team, these are the ones that are closing very soon. But even the ones that are not engaging as much still show signs that they're actively still part of the steel cycle and your message is getting across. And that's very important to understand. Am I actually reaching these folks and can they show and exhibit the signs that my activation has been successful there? So when we contrast that with the top of the funnel, um, opportunities, let's say, already in the sales cycle, sometimes we see less engagement. But at the same time, those accounts will move faster to the next stage. So it's not so much that they've tuned out LinkedIn, but I think they're using it for a different purpose based on where they are in that buyer's process. So it's incumbent upon marketers to understand where do we emphasize LinkedIn more on certain parts of the sales cycle and where do we maybe change a tactic, use a different LinkedIn product, use a different type of brand message or a different type of uh, mechanism within LinkedIn to continue to build up that engagement. That's the mouthful uh, uh, information about LinkedIn, but the short answer really is it's an integral part of any B2B marketer's toolkit. If you're not on LinkedIn, if you're not pursuing your accounts there, you're missing out because it's likely that your competitors are using that channel. All right, Ben, thank you so much for, once again, such an awesome and elaborate answer. And now, if the audience would love to learn more about you and your company, where can they find you? They can find us at www.madisonlogic.com. We have offices throughout the United States, throughout Europe, in Asia Pacific, and we're soon to be landing in Australia and India. So we service our clients on a global basis. We work with some of the best organizations and our team just loves diving deep on all things account-based marketing with them. 
All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's the end of today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Before you go, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. If you'd like to kickstart your marketing analytics, check out the 14-day free trial at supermetrics.com. See you on the next episode of the Marketing Analytics Show.